ask that you open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 132. Psalm 132 as we continue looking at the Psalms of Ascent. And we're, we're going to read the entire chapter, but i uh, just going to focus on the first nine verses. This is going to be a two-parter because this is the longest of these Psalms of Ascent or Song of Decrees. And as you're turning there, you know, what, is, what do we mean when we talk about what is worship? You know, what is worship? Some people will say, you know, that, well, you know, they'll talk about, well, we had our worship and then we had our preaching and service. Well, that's not really, you know, they're talking about the singing. But singing is not synonymous with worship. It's, it's a part of worship, just like reading of the Word of God is part of worship. Preaching is part of worship. Prayer is part of worship. But what is worship? You know, our, our modern English word that we use for worship actually comes from an old English word, worth-ship. Worth-ship kind of defines itself. It means to give something its worth. That's what we mean. We're giving uh, our modern English word and our old English word have the idea to declare God's worth to us. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament Hebrew word for worship, a little bit deeper, it means to bow down, to prostrate, to do reverence. In the New Testament, uh, the word worship uh, in the Greek means to kiss the hand in reverence, to kneel, to do homage, but all have the same meaning, whether it's the uh, original languages in the Bible, our English translation of it, it means to give back God his due, his, give him back his worth, to declare his worth. And uh, we're going to be looking at that today, but we're going to read the entire chapter, but really focusing on only on the first nine verses. And before we uh, read the word of God, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, be with me, your unworthy servant, as I read it, and as I uh, preach it today. Lord, give us open hearts, Lord, to receive your word, and Lord, may we be obedient unto it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Psalm 132, beginning in verse 1. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swear in the Lord and vowed in the mighty God in Jacob, surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard it, heard of it at Ephratah. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn 
in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever, here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision, I will satisfy her poor with bread, I will also clothe her priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. The psalmist, uh, which many think may be Solomon, that's debatable, uh, but it doesn't matter. It's uh, the, the psalmist prays to God to remember David and all his afflictions. Now, the afflictions he's talking about here is not talking about his, him suffering under King Saul when he had to flee because it, it, he goes on and tells us what these afflictions are in the next few verses. Uh, that his affliction was he desired to find a place for the ark of God, for a permanent resonance. Resting place. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the token of God's presence among God's people in the Old Testament. It was the symbol that God's presence was with them. Now, that could be abused, uh, and it was. Remember, if you go in in first part of First Samuel, when Eli's sons they they thought that just taking it out into battle would give them victory over the Philistines. And what happened? Well, God wasn't with them. And they, and they were defeated and killed. Eli's sons were. And the ark was taken by the Philistines. But it was the symbol of God's presence among the Israel. And, God, and David was restless to build a temple for the Lord for it to dwell. Uh, now, some of this you can read in uh, in, in First uh, or Second Samuel, excuse me, six about how David would bring the ark to Jerusalem. And there's a long story there that we don't have time for, but we're just focusing on the part of David would bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Uh, it tells us, but God would not allow him, however to build that temple. Uh, that would be Solomon's job. Uh, but God would, would give David, he would allow him to do the preparations for the temple. And you can read about that beginning in 2 Chronicles 22 when you get a chance. Uh, and and, and you, you, will, you see in verse 6, we heard of it at Ephrata. There's some debate over Ephrata. Is this a reference to Bethlehem? Or is it a reference to, to Ephraim? Um, I'm not going to get into that debate, but the whole thing was we, we found it in the fields of the woods. We will go up to this tabernacle. We will worship at his footstool. 
It would be David who would be allowed by God to bring that that uh, ark back to Jerusalem. Because remember, the Philistines took it, and then the Israel got they were struck with plagues, and they said, "We don't want this no more." And then it would abide uh, not in the tabernacle, but uh, but outside of Jerusalem. And David would bring it to Jerusalem. But the one thing I want you to focus on here is that we see that David had a heart for the worship of God. And that's what I would uh, uh, title this message, A Heart for Worship. And what does it mean to have a heart for worship? And we're going to focus on David and his heart for worship. What does it mean when we look at this here? Well, number one, to have a heart for worship, you have to love God. To have a love for God. And that's one thing that when we see here, David, that he was afflicted, that he was, he was restless, he, he couldn't sleep, that he wanted, uh, he, he just felt it was not right that the ark of God, the symbol of God's presence, didn't have a dwelling it wasn't in the right place it needed to be in Jerusalem it needed to have a house dedicated for the glory of God David's heart was in the right place that was a love for God he had a desire to have to find a place for the ark since the ark was the symbol of God's presence notice what it states in verse 7 we will go into his tabernacles we will worship at his footstool footstool is a reference to the ark the ark was the symbol or token of God's presence and to gather around it and worship was to worship at God's footstool uh, though the ark would be kept in the in a holy of holies to gather around that tabernacle the ark was the central aspect, the central place in the tabernacle and later in Solomon's temple. And David did move it, as I said earlier, to Jerusalem, that ark. And later his son Solomon would build a temple. But all of this showed of David's love for God. David was called a man after God's own heart. He certainly was. And when it comes to our worship, we should also have a love for God, my friends. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> Moses, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Notice here, God is one God. There's only one God, and it's one God. What are we to do? We are to love Him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our might. That means our complete being yeah. is to worship God. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's throughout the week. Worship is not just when we gather here on Sunday and Wednesdays. 
We should worship God throughout the week, my friends. Uh, and we are called to this. Go over to Deuteronomy 11 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 11 and verse 1. Again, we read, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep His charges and His statutes and His judgments and His commandments always. Uh, we shall love the Lord our God. And look, to keep His charge, His statutes, to keep His law, this is an overflow of our love. And I know Brother Jimmy's been preaching on this in the book of James. You know, faith without works is dead. And what did our Lord Jesus say about this? In Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And Jesus responds in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, this is one of the teachers of the law, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, quoting from Deuteronomy, this is the first and great commandment. Now the second is, verse 39 is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, if you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, you should also love your neighbor as yourself. But notice verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul is the first and greatest of all the commandments. Is it enough just to come to church out of obligation? We can do that. I can do it. We've probably been guilty of it. Is it enough just to come and sing a hymn, sing hymns with no love? Is it enough to sing psalms with no love? To read and hear the Scripture and no love, our minds elsewhere? To listen to a sermon no love in our heart toward God. When we have the Lord's Supper just to eat the bread and drink of the cup with no love for what Christ done for us on the cross. No. We must do it out of love, my friends. Must do it out of love. Do we gather here because we love God or just we're going through the motions? And there's a danger there that we can go through the motions but not out of love for God. Love for God means a, a hatred for this world also. A hatred for our own sins. Look, the, the, when it comes to sin in this world, the number one sin you need to hate is your own sin. I need to hate my sin more than what other people are. I'm not saying we shouldn't preach against sin. We should do that. But pre remember... Our own sins are our greatest enemies and these temptations. And when these temptations or desires draw us away, it's showing, a, and we fall for them, we're showing a lack of love for God. Oh, how we should never forget that. John Piper stated uh, something that he does that, you know, when you're being tempted, just think upon. Well, think on what Brother George read earlier this morning. Matthew 27, upon the crucified Christ and what He done. His, his body hanging there for you out of love for you. 
And when you sin, when you give in to temptation, you're showing a lack of love for what He did on you for you on the cross. Oh, our worship for Christ must be done out of love. Going back to Psalm 132, I also see here an intense reverence for God here with David. He revered God. I mean, he was afflicted. I, I, I just, I will not come in the tabernacle of my house, he states in verse 3, or go into bed. I can't give, you know, I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. He believed the Lord's symbol of God's presence needed a proper place to be at. That showed a reverence for God. Uh, we are to love God with all our heart and with all our soul, but also to revere Him. Sometimes that word revere in the Bible uh, goes by the term to fear God. But the term fear of God when it comes to the saints uh, primarily refers to a, a, a great reverence for God. In Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 30, uh, Moses wrote, Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Keep my Sabbaths, reverence my sanctuaries. Re uh, that reverence of God's sanctuary in the Old Testament was a reverence for God, to revere Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 6, the Word of God states, Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. Fear means here means to revere Him, to be in awe of Him, to have a reverence and astonishment of God. Never lose that because uh, we, when we lose that reverence for God, uh, there, it affects our worship, my friends. I remember an interview uh, done by the actor Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart played in the TV series, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Captain Picard, some you may know him better by. But he told about an interview, in an interview, you know, Patrick Stewart's a pretty left-wing guy in his politics, really left-wing. And he was going to meet, this was like in the late 80s when the uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation was really at its height. And he was going to be meeting with President Reagan, who you know is you know, a, a bastion of conservatism, and he was thinking at first, I'm going to tell him, you know, about, you know, my politics and tell, you know, kind of tell him off, you know, where I think he's wrong. But then he said, when you, you go to meet him, all of a sudden, he said he kind of got giddy there, you know, my goodness, I'm meeting the President of the United States, and he comes out smiling, you know, shake hands, and, and he's all, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, he's kind of in all of the president, you know, all of that other stuff goes away. You know, you might can say, well, when I see Jesus someday, I'm going to, you know, go hug his neck and all this. No, you won't. You're going to do just as John, the beloved apostle, did in Revelation 1. You're going to fall at his feet. 
uh, you're going to fall at his feet. I think there's a danger, my friends, that you know you can have a casual attitude. We can have a casual attitude in corporate worship, and I think it's a problem in American evangelicalism today to not have a reverence yeah. for God. Uh, and I think it's a major problem. But we should always, when we gather here, my friends, to to have a reverence for God when we hear His Word read, when we sing, and to sing out of love, but also knowing that He is God Almighty, our Lord. Uh, I, I like what the the church father Augustine said that our that singing is praying, and I like that. You know, think about it when we sing these hymns, we're we're communicating with God. We're, we're, we should be meaning it, what we sing. And hey, we're all guilty of not doing that, aren't we? We should sing out of love and reverence to God to be as Isaiah was in Isaiah 6 when he saw the glory of God. He said, I saw in everything, and he's heard that sir, the, the angel singing, holy, 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 and he was in awe. Oh, my friends, we should be in awe of God every time that we gather here in His place to sing praises, to give Him glory, and we hear His Word. The third thing that we see here, going back to Psalm 132, when you, when you, when, that we see with David was he had a great faith in God. Can there be true worship of God without faith? The answer to that is no. <laughs> there cannot be true worship of God without faith. If you look at verse 9, the psalmist stated, Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness. Uh, the priest who served in the tabernacle and later the temple wore elaborate clothing in the Old Testament to serve God. But here the psalmist is referring to their inner attire, which should also be true of us. Let it be, then be clothed with righteousness. How, do we, how, do, how are we clothed with righteousness? How can I be clothed with righteousness today when, you, when you're worshiping? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4, verses three, verse 3, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Their inner attire righteousness comes only by faith only by faith in who you're worshiping. Otherwise, it's all empty and vain. Everything we're doing. If you're not worshiping God in faith, it's all empty and vain. True worship is to have faith in Him, to believe in Him, uh, to give Him the glory. Uh, I was once in a and I won't name the church. It's not in this area, but it's someplace else. But it was a beautiful, ornate church. I mean, beautiful. Symbols of the gospel everywhere. 
This was years ago. And like I said, it's beautiful. It's just awe-inspiring when you enter it. But what did I think of the church service? Well, I can truly say that the whole service was empty of the gospel and it was empty of the glory of God. It was is is like a tomb. And it wasn't just say the people were dead, you know. No, it was no gospel preached. Well, there was something being preached, but it wasn't the gospel. You see, you, you can even have the most beautiful church building in the world that has beautiful artwork, and there can be no gospel. If you got, turn with me to Mark chapter 11... Mark chapter 11, I think we see something similar to this in the ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 17. And Mark tells us two, uh, two instances here in the life of Jesus, two stories in the life of Jesus that you may disconnect if you read through the Gospel of Mark, but they're connected, that Mark is trying to show and Jesus is also he's showing saying that Jesus is making a point here notice in verse uh, verse 12 in Mark chapter 11 and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany he was hungry that's Jesus and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves he came if happily he might find anything thereon and when he came to it he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. In these two, in, in, in these two stories here, Jesus, first of all, he comes to a fig tree. He sees the tree, if you'll notice, uh, it had leaves. It, it, he looked from afar, having leaves, but when he came near, no figs. Jesus rebuked it for having the appearance of being fruitful, but having no fruit. Then he goes to Jerusalem to the temple. That had to be, it had the Solomon's temple or Herod's temple. That had to be an awesome, just to walk in it. You know, I've seen images of it. How all awesome it would have looked, you know, to see the glory of it. But when Jesus came to it, was he happy? No. He began, he saw that they were merchandising in the temple. He drove them out. He says, is it not written, quote, in Isaiah 55, 7, my house should be called of all nations a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You've stolen from the glory of God for your own merchandise. 
And how is it this how is these two how is this con connected together the fig tree and the temple well just like the fig tree that from afar looked fruitful it had nothing on it the temple though it was had had beautiful architecture it no longer had any glory of god in it uh he rebuked them and later if you notice when they came back and if you read the let uh continue reading the fig tree was withered away and jesus told the disciples in verse 22 well they were actually referencing um the the, the fig tree how did this happen jesus said have faith in god you know what jesus is showing here is that this was empty the temple was empty of faith in god uh, and my friends, if we gather and there's no faith in Almighty God, it's just empty. Don't matter how beautiful the church building is. Uh, in Second Chronicles, chapter twenty, in verse twenty, Jehoshaphat said this to to Judah he, as they were going to battle, and they rose up early in the morning and went forth in the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe His prophets, so shall you prosper. Have faith in God. Believe in God. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, I'm, you're probably familiar with this verse, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You cannot please God, you cannot worship God if you don't have faith in Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Our worship is in vain, my friends, if we gather here today and have not faith in God. Uh, no matter how beautiful our, uh, our church service is, no matter how beautiful our church building is, if there's no faith in God, it's lacking. In conclusion, I, I want you to turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 and in Psalm 100, we have this beautiful psalm of worship. And it states, the psalmist does, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And you'll notice here that the psalmist states, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, all people. Not just Israel, all people. There's a similar wording and you go to Psalm 2 where, uh, where all are called to worship the Son. If you're here today and you're lost, you don't know Christ. You're called to come to Christ. Yeah. Come to Him. Notice verses 2 through 5. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us, 
and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Today, if you know not Christ, I call you, my friends, that let you know that the Lord is God. Yahweh is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Uh, with the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And my friends... Uh, he died upon the cross for sinners. He rose again three days later. And all who believe upon him will have eternal life. The psalmist calls for us to worship God. That is to love God. To revere God. And to have faith in God. If you're not a Christian today... I pray God will give you faith and repentance to come to Him today, to trust in Him, and do not delay. Uh, let us love God, revere God, and have faith in Him. Let us pray. Father, just come to You, Lord, asking You, Lord, to help us to truly always to worship you, to love you with our hearts, to revere you, to have faith in you. Not just here when we gather on Sundays and Wednesdays, but every day of the week. Forgive us. Forgive me where I fall short in this. Help us to do better. To always, Lord, to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, our entire being. And I pray, Lord, if there be any who are unconverted, who know not Christ, that even now you will place upon their heart the need for salvation in, in Jesus Christ, and that they will turn to your Son without delay. Oh Lord, lay it upon their heart. Give them faith and repentance. And Lord, may we, your people, each and every day, love you, revere you, and have faith in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.